I'm Jen Horn, and you're listening to Mooney on This, the show where we talk about the challenges and possibilities in creating a more mindful and livable world. This episode is brought to you by Crafting Futures, a British Council global program that envisions a sustainable future through craft, collaboration, and educational opportunities. It is also supported by the Design Center of the Philippines, the country's national agency for design. The British Council builds connections between the UK and other countries through arts, culture, and education. Find out more about how they shape the future of crafts and design at britishcouncil.ph and designcenter.ph. In this episode, we talk about how this mindful, livable, and even post-COVID world can be built through craft. Now, you may or may not be in the craft space or see yourself as such, but you know, craft and design and making is such an integral part of our lives, and we might not immediately realize it. So with the things that fill our home, our home itself, the clothes we wear, the food we eat, or the films we watch, these are all a result of a continuous evolution of craft, which continues to give us culture, history, and identity. And with me today is someone who believes in the role of craft in a sustainable future as well. So my co-host for this episode is one of Mooney's core team members, and she's a brand strategist at the awesome design studio, Serious Studio. And on top of that, she's also taking her MA in social psychology at the University of the Philippines in Diliman. Her research centers on how culture and design can help bring well-being to Filipinos, and recently, more specifically, to our weavers. So I, I really witnessed to this woman's passion and energy when she talks about things she believes in. And so I'm really happy to welcome to this show my good friend, Car Abola. Thanks so much, Jen. You always describe me in a way that kind of overwhelms me. But thank you always for the support in life and in my work as well. So the reason that I'm here today is because we worked with the British Council, um, not just to create this episode, but also actually um, to help us attend the conference that they organized last March 6th to 8th. And we were there to listen in, to learn, to create this episode, but also to present the research that the British Council also commissioned us to do. Um, and in this conference, we were also able to meet people who are super inspiring, um, people who work with um, our artisans, with people who work with creativity and culture and design in the hope to create true, honest and inclusive, sustainable development through the things that we craft and make. Making Futures is about exploring the progressive social possibilities presented by the revival, development, and promotion of craft in its many forms and guises in societies across the world. It's about imagining possible futures together. It's about exploring and managing uncertainty and about creating pathways to make desirable futures realizable. That was Malcolm Ferris of Plymouth College of Arts, who is also the curator of the Making Futures Conference, followed by Pilar Aramaya Prudencio, the country director of the British Council of Philippines. So looking at traditional indigenous crafts, contemporary art and craft, artisanal production, to even digitally inclined maker movements, Malcolm stressed how important it was for us to recognize craft in its many different forms. And I realized that this elastic use of the term craft 
might be controversial. But in making futures, we really do come together as equally respected parts in a relational field, one which we seek out what's common rather than what separates us, and one in which we share our experiences and learning from one another to reflect on the kind of viable future we want to make for ourselves. It was just such an intense three-day brain explosion of different ideas on the future of craft and design from people from different parts of the world, along with you know very hands-on tactile workshops and visits to creative hubs in Cebu. But with COVID accelerating quickly between the conference and the release of this podcast episode, we felt more challenged to try to speak about craft Now, while we're all still trying to figure out how to deal with the social, psychological, and economic impacts this crisis brings. But the funny thing is, in trying to piece this episode together, we realize that craft is so full of incredible possibilities that have become so overlooked. And this still rings true even through our crisis today with COVID-19. And to help us more deeply understand and find this hope where it is so hidden, we got on a call with two of the keynote speakers from the Making Futures Conference. Here's Amne Sheikh Faruqi, Senior Program Advisor of the Entrepreneurship and Community Development Institute in Pakistan, talking about crafting leadership cultures in the communities that she works with. So in our line of work, we believe that supporting small craft-based businesses can be a means of empowerment and inclusiveness, while also preserving age-old artisan skills. So it is both a social and economic opportunity. And while technology is important here, equally important is the process of self-actualization and creation of local pools of support and women's leadership. The idea that a craftsperson and a, is, is a change maker and a leader is an important one and has been a part of our culture before. We were drawn to Amne's feminine power and how she seeks to empower other women as well. And she's been working in the social development sector of Pakistan for 14 years now, working on social entrepreneurship and gender issues. She also co-founded Polly and Other Stories. It's an e-commerce initiative that helps develop and bring to market carefully made artisanal products created by small producers excluded from the mainstream. Another speaker who left such an impactful mark during the conference is Cameron Tonkin-Weiss. He is a director of the Design Innovation Research Center at the University of Technology, Sydney. His talk at the conference really blew everybody's minds. He talked about how fast and how desperately new possibilities may have to be born from this pandemic. At that time, it was just on the rise. But Cameron was already talking about things so many of us would only realize after weeks in lockdown. And while some of this was about climate change, it still pretty much seems to relate how we'll have to adapt and change due to the accelerating needs because of COVID. Here's a short clip of his talk at the Making Futures Conference, delivered remotely from Sydney. How can we use this fracture to try and transition? Uh, I'm talking to you about how we could take this fracture, this moment, which might be uh, COVID-19, it might be climate change. How do we take that and use this as a moment to actually craft a transition to a very different way of being. And, and what should we be crafting our way to quite quickly right now? And so all of a sudden, one particular type of transition, just to do with contagions and minimizing transport, 
opens up very different desires, very different expectations, very different skills. One can imagine that on the other side of COVID-19, there might be very different food practices now possible, only because of this opportunity, this crisis slash opportunity. Cameron's work focuses on the practice and study of sustainable and transition design. So what this means is that they study ways that the world can slowly move towards a more sustainable and a more equitable future. And with all the changes now that are forced upon us by this pandemic, we wanted to continue on that conversation, pick up where we left off with both Cameron and Omni. Six weeks after, we find ourselves living lives that are so different from the ones that we had before. Now, most of it is online, with little to no movement or travel. So it really makes us question, what then might the future look like, not just for us, but most especially for artisans and craft communities like those that Omni works with? More on that after the break. This episode is brought to you by Crafting Futures, a British Council global program that envisions a sustainable future through craft, collaboration, and educational opportunities. It is also supported by the Design Center of the Philippines, the country's national agency for design. The British Council builds connections between the UK and other countries through arts, culture, and education. Find out more about how they shape the future of crafts and design at britishcouncil.ph and designcenter.ph. And now, let's go to our catch-up conversation with Cameron and Omni about the impacts of the COVID crisis on craft. It's surreal, right? I mean, Cebu, I have to keep reminding myself this was just over a month ago. It feels like last year, maybe longer. It feels so far away. So when I got home, I walked into um, partial lockdown in our province. Um, Pakistan has had many issues with handling, as, as many developed countries have had, the crisis. But in particular, I think uh, the province where I'm situated in Pakistan has been uh, probably the fastest acting. So we walked into a partial lockdown 10 days later. It's week seven of lockdown for me, started this week. So it feels, it feels crazy, right? Because a lot of my work is in the field. It involves physical interaction with all kinds of people. There's a lot of travel involved. Um, and a lot of these communities, I wasn't ready. Of course, none of us were ready, but a lot of these communities are particularly ill-prepared for this kind of digital engagement. Uh, there's issues with access to the internet. There's issues with access to the correct kind of devices. Also, those of them who are online are not particularly protected or particularly skilled at using the different mechanisms that you can use to connect with people. So it's definitely been an uphill struggle um, to try and keep things running in a situation where many of the people you work with are simply not able to deliver what they can from a work from home environment. It's just the reality that we struggle with right now. I, I think some very interesting things are happening. So on the one hand, almost immediately, even, even at Cebu, uh, I was commenting on, on the way in which a lot of the lockdown occurring in China at that time had seen the necessity of people doing a lot of making themselves. 
So I don't know how many people saw this recently, very beautiful uh, sort of graphic piece of journalism in The New Yorker. And uh, it's someone describing a particular phenomenon that's been occurring in China uh, with a whole bunch of the quarantine cities and citizens who ordinarily spent all their time eating out, now being forced to eat in, having very little skills in cooking. And so using social media to teach each other how to cook with whatever they've got in the, in the cupboard at the time. And it's become an incredible source of interaction. It's a whole bunch of people crafting very different skills in their life. There's on the one hand been an amazing flourishing of kind of craft practices and even a recovery of a wide range of craft practices as people have kind of been forced to find ways of making do and, and making for themselves. And those are functional crafts and they are pastime crafts, they're avocational. It feels like a, a flourishing of a, of a kind of amateurist attempt to recover craft practices. Uh, it seems like a great opportunity for expert craftspeople to find ways through the kind of medium we're forced to use to, to help expand those skills and capacities. This was actually something I was pretty surprised to hear. Personally, I had forgotten the important value and the inherent joy of making things with our own hands. But at the same time, I was also really, really concerned about the people at the center of our industry, our artisans. I wondered about how they're doing in an era where craft and culture have been possibly irreversibly commodified. So I think what, what we're trying to understand here is if there is some way that craft can survive being less dependent on other people consuming their goods. And I think maybe Omni would might have some experience. Like, how are you guys coping now that consumption is like effectively uh, hampered absolutely so i think it's i think it's a really interesting time to be in this space right and i i'm gonna talk about a little conversation that a bunch of us had over dinner in cebu i mean who knew we'd be literally in this space uh back then but yeah the conclusion we'd reached in cebu was that even if we were living in underground bunkers and waiting for will smith to arrive we would still care about craft because people would probably paint something on their faces. We'd use chalk. I mean, there's evidence through history that people have needed something to express themselves, right? And also, I think it's important to remember that craft traditionally was not about money, right? It was about community and culture. And I think it's interesting because, Cameron, you're talking about decoupling it from growth and production as well as from culture, right? You're talking about it as a as something which has its own intrinsic value. So yeah, I think craft would survive no matter what we would make. We would have to make, partly to survive, because so much of craft is practical, right? So, I mean, we have quilts in our house that are over 50 years old. They weren't really made for a commercial purpose. They were made because they were beautiful and because people liked them and also because they had a practical use as, yeah, 50 years later, we're still using them. It's important to kind of always remember the way in which craft is never only a material practice. It's a socio-material, like it has socio-cultural uh, embeddedness. And, and those are long-standing traditions about how, how people 
interact around the craft. And so to, to, to quickly demand that craft experts jump from really, you know, quite traditional social contexts and ways of kind of showing and explaining and to try and leap into a completely different medium. There's also been so much discussion on how the crisis will turn things around within and beyond craft. The very nature of business and even capitalism is being questioned. Carbon emissions are slowly being reduced. Yet, Omni and Cameron both talk about grounding our hopes into the reality of what's likely to come, no matter how desperately we want and need things to change. And there's a lot of conversation within the small business or small maker space about how this crisis is going to change us forever. We're going to care more about the environment. We've learned our lesson. We love how clear the skies look. I'm obviously terribly cynical. But is there something, and I think this is where the conversation particularly needs to be taken, possibly even at a policy level, is there something worth saving? Do we really need to produce the way we have been? Do we need so much seasonality? Do we need this level of production? And if we can all begin to think about what that means for small makers, it might actually mean, if we truly revert to this model, that they have a bigger space in the market, that people are more interested in buying these things because they're made in ethical or safer ways. I totally agree with that analysis and, and, and um, suggest that it, it's not that this experience will have caused the change and then we will go in a new direction once we start rebuilding out of this. Uh, definitely the forces are marshalling already to, to make sure we return. All the kind of economic stimulus is about, is about bringing back the prior economy. Um, there's no kind of sense that this is an opportunity to redirect and in fact, to some extent, we're actually seeing that big tech, big corporation and its uh, very large logistic chains have been the one things that are flourishing. I mean, to some extent, Amazon's version of monopoly is, is now absolutely uh, solidified. So this kind of disaster capitalism has, in fact, worked well. So we, we definitely will, uh, unfortunately, rebound to some of the worst aspects of what was before. I think the change mechanism is that in this period, we will have all experienced other kinds of things. And so the capacity in the future, in six months and a year, 18 months, to recall some of those other pleasures, some of those other kinds of ways of living, and to, to remobilize them in the future I think this is the change. It's not that we are being refracted now into, in a new direction. It, we will rebound, but I suspect that we've been opened up to other possibilities in this time. I'm sure we're all very aware that, that the, the fact that we're able to think about an alternative future is a privilege and that there are very real struggles today that we have to consider and deal with it like right now we can we can of course like we want to be very hopeful and and try to build and rebound from whatever it is that we're dealing with right now but in the meantime where those who are experienced those who are hardest hit like what do we do what can we do after the break we asked omni and cameron some tough questions 
questions many of us are trying to grapple with right now. And they gave us hope in the belief that in spite of or because of the uncertainty we face, we have the opportunity to imagine and create a real dramatic positive change. Especially when we make sure voices demanding greater social safety nets for all are heard and amplified. And especially when true appreciation is given to those who provide care and craft in all its forms. And then maybe all that has been lost in this crisis won't be forgotten. And instead, it will contribute to accelerating a transition to a more sustainable and humane post-COVID future. Let's go back to our conversation with Amne and Cameron. The short answer, I guess, is we don't know what that will look like right now. Uh, we are looking at more local um, solutions, which means that, A, people do not have to travel distances. But I think right now what people, I think, need to be able to do is go back to how things used to be, which is barter. I can stitch, you can cook, those kind of services. Uh, that is working well in some of our communities where we've been able to commu connect communities that grow with communities that make. And they've been able to barter for services. Um, because the reality is people do not have the cash right now to do much more. I suspect that we've been opened up to other possibilities in this time. So I think this is the kind of, it's, it's like an experiment and yes, it's, you go on holiday and you come back from the holiday and then a, a little while later you think, actually, there was a way of being when I was on holiday that, that, that I'd like to now actually institute. So I think that kind of later echo of what we are now experiencing is the kind of change that might happen. No, absolutely. I think it's really interesting because there have been so much, so many voices and so much writing. And I love what you said about the holiday and how people might retain elements of that, because that's absolutely what it is. Because in the digital space, there's a lot of voices that were suppressed that are getting more, more traction, I would say, simply because the traditional models of advertising and influencers is really not working. So the Instagram Kardashians are having a hard time. But the truth is that that's also their silence has allowed other voices to emerge. People are having some really interesting conversations right now. They're writing some interesting pieces. Um, and let's see how much of that we're influenced by, because essentially it's a new kind of influencer. It's an activist influencer that's been given mainstream space. Um, and as I said, what we found is more eyeballs because people have less frivolous content to consume. And I suppose there's only so much Netflix that anybody can watch. Um, so, uh, well, I mean, yeah, we may have all broken our own personal records, but I still think it's a point at which I don't think I can take it anymore. And I think what's interesting at the moment is when, when thrown back into kind of our minimal bunkers, like if we happen to have the privilege of having... Uh, roofs over our head and then being kind of constrained to that it is this moment in which you actually kind of are are asking is, is this how i want to live so how else might we live like what are the alternatives and suddenly this question is like we have the time to ask it and we have the conditions to experiment and we can actually see in some way the consequences uh, you know this was the the german sociologist ulrich beck always said this is also a question of risk what risks am I prepared to live with? And people haven't been very good at thinking about risks, thinking about the risk of extreme weather events in terms of climate change. The, the, the interesting thing about the pandemic is we are suddenly all 
a lot more risk literate. We all are understanding risks of contagion. We're understanding kind of uh, something about kind of exponential growth. Um, And so now I can ask this question, how do I want to live and what level of risk am I prepared to carry? And not just for me, but for others. How How much am I living in such a way that I'm causing risk to others? So I really think all of a sudden these quite abstract questions about how to live sustainably are right with us in actual decisions about about what we do uh, as we try and spend time. So it's a really interesting um, version of a sustainability question right now. Yeah, so I guess just like as a closing question, um, because like clearly we all understand the value of craft and the value of doing it communally. And as, um, as Cameron said in his talk during the conference, um, how experiences would be better as seamful experiences and that's part of the beauty of everything so how how do you see a seamful experience of craft and culture um continuing or like surviving or even contributing to a future post-covid to tolerate the seamful to tolerate things that take a bit of effort that have a bit of friction you, you need the privilege of having time. Uh, so so part, of, part of being global and modern is sort of being intolerant of, of things that take time because you think you're so time poor and you're harried and you're always trying to kind of do something. Uh, and, and so you, you just simply want the outcome and you want the outcome to be reliable and if it's reliable, it's going to be mass-produced uh, you know, with a kind of corporation behind it that you can sue when it goes wrong. Um, so I think, you know, t- to be a society that tolerates uh, some of the variation that comes from more locally and, and hand-produced things that have long traditions which make them, you know, reliable in one way but just don't have a kind of standardization on the other and that's exactly their kind of beauty. You, you need to have uh, just a bit more time to be tolerant. I think a lot of people are intolerant, not because they want to rush, but they are being rushed by the system. And so we're all kind of forced into this, this kind of ratchet of, of trying to accelerate. But I think people are now able to say, I would like to live less always harried and therefore more appreciative of variation and the seamful and the effortful, and, and I'm quite prepared to kind of to to labour cultivating a local plant or to do some stitching, you know, in a sense, and then to also appreciate when somebody else has done some stitching beautifully because now I've done it myself. I've had the time to do it. So I think um, this 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 question of time actually is is what is going to allow craft to return as a more major and not just marginalised component of of all of our lives. Both in the conference and in our conversations with Amne and Cameron, we reflected on how the fast pace with which we led our lives before is not necessarily a pace we want to keep up with in the future. And while we spoke about similar themes in relation to our climate crisis at the conference, A lot of similar crises and opportunities are arising with the COVID pandemic. This time in quarantine has forced us to explore some new skills or polish old ones. So whether that's cooking our own food, growing our own greens, mending things ourselves, 
And in some cases, it has also compelled us to connect more with our neighbors, although at a distance or digitally, and to maybe look for supplies within our own local communities first. Can COVID now be the fracture that allows us to learn how to embrace craft even more? Can this moment teach us to appreciate the slow and the intentional, the handmade things that take time, while also still fervently advocating for governments and corporations to provide social safety nets for its citizens and its workers, particularly the artisans who carry our culture, history, and identity? We leave you with these words from Omni. I, I see it as a personal as well as um, organizational responsibility to keep being the voice of all of the issues that uh, that still exist out there and are not going away um, and possibly may even be worsened. I think in this rush to catch up, that's my biggest fear, is that in the rush to catch up for time lost or... Um, there'll actually be greater violations of both environmental and, and uh, social acceptable social standards. Uh, people will be just desperate to make up for their lost profits or revenues or whatever you may. Um, and and at, this is an opportunity for all of us as individual corporates, whatever level you want to engage at, that there is going to be a time when this is over and that you will look back and reflect. And and then it's really on you, right? Did you choose fear and panic and desperate desperate kind of how can I save myself, whether it's you as an individual or you as a business kind of tactics? Or did you choose compassion? Um, and if you chose the latter, I am certain of this. You put out good into this world. It will find a way of coming back to you. If enough of us approach the world in that way, there, there, there can be change. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love to know your thoughts and ideas on how we can collectively craft more sustainable and livable futures post-COVID. Share your thoughts with us on Instagram at Mooney underscore PH or send us a voice message through Anchor in the episode description. You can also find the link to our show notes from this episode in the episode description where you can learn more about Omni and Cameron and get access to their talks and presentations from the Making Futures conference along with all the other discussions from those three days. Again, this episode was brought to you by Crafting Futures, the global program by British Council, supported by the Design Center of the Philippines. It was hosted and written by Jen Horn and Cara Bola, edited by podwiz.com.au, with music by Diego Mapa and branding by Sirius Studio.